Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we get to open it up tonight. Um, grateful that it speaks life and truth and that it's not dead, but that your word is working. And so may we do it justice tonight as we preach and listen and apply in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How are you guys? That's what I'm talking about. Still alive after a week of class. Hey, we can bring those lights up, guys. I need to see their lovely faces. Um, I'm about to yell at them for like 32 minutes. Um, hey, man, if I haven't met you, my name is Brandon. I'm the uh, college director here. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, and it is a joy to get to stand before you as we get to enter into the second week of our series. So if you were here uh, in this first week where we've entitled this uh, series, Asking for a Friend, um, and these are just questions that we were looking at, um, and the aim is that we sometimes often assume that we know things or uh, we're too afraid to ask or too prideful or whatever it may be, and so what tends to happen is that we go uh, to other places, namely culture, to find the answers to some of these really hard questions, and, and listen, many of these questions uh, are at the core of, of our doubting. Like there are some in here tonight, by God's grace, that you're like, I'm really skeptical of this stuff, man. Way to do that, right? Like, like I am a teacher by nature, so I want to lecture and go apologetic and have graphs and stuff. But yeah, and you would be done. Like the classes I used to teach with this fell asleep right in the middle of them. Some of my former students are out there; they know what I'm talking about. But rather, what we want to do is spark an interest in you. That, that takes you to the next level going, man, I want to I flesh that out a little bit more. Like, I want to take that question, and maybe it didn't get answered fully, but man, I want to find resources. And so if you'll keep an eye out, like we have put together some resources that kind of go a little bit further, especially as we get into each of these questions, they go a little bit further than what we can do here. Like, we just want to lay a groundwork. And so, so what we've laid this groundwork for is last week, we just looked at the gospel. And we looked at the myths that we've believed in culture and the church versus the truth and, and how we don't get those answers from culture, but rather that we get them from the scriptures. And, and this is where I want to spend tonight. It's like, okay, we got the gospel part, um, but what about the scripture part? Why do we keep opening up this thing called the Bible? And, and tonight, I just want to answer this question is, why do we trust the Bible? Like, why are you constantly going to hear us referring back to this ancient text, this seemingly out of date with culture and trends that we see today? And, and why did this thing that calls us to like otherworldly pursuits, like it'll say things like, hey, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? It'll say things that, that don't even compute sometimes with our, with, with our ability to, some, to reconcile these countercultural concepts. So, so why do we do this? And if we're honest, like the Bible calls us to really hard things. And if we're just gonna sit in the church, like that's not super hard. It's, it wasn't hard for you to get in your car, find a ride, however it was, come here, sit for 30 some odd minutes, sing a little bit, leave here. But what's really hard is to look at the scriptures and see what they call us to, what they call us away from, and trust that the Bible's actually for our good, that it's not outdated, that it does speak to culture and life. And that maybe the problem isn't so much a Bible problem, maybe it's a me problem. And this is where I want to spin because in this series, like you're getting insight into my head, right? So um, you got any other why kids out there? Were you one of the, the annoying kids that was the why kid, right? Mom would say something, why, why, 
Why? And then they finally got to the end, they're like, because I said so, right? Um, man, that are, those are my kids. Like, I'm just being repaid for all the whys. But I am this, I, am, I wanna know the reason. It, it drove my parents insane. Um, but one of, the, one of the graces that's happened to my life is, is I've had these struggles as I've watched the Bible used poorly. Man, I've, I've remember just sitting as a 20-year-old like I was 20 years old, I had my first teaching job, I was teaching eighth grade Bible. That's just the lap of luxury, man. It's this show. Everybody wants to go teach Old Testament characters to eighth graders. It's wonderful. But I can remember here, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching Bible at a private school, and I'm like, I don't even know if I believe this stuff. Like I had grown up in church, but none of this was computing with the way that I live life, right? Like I just was, I was just kind of repeating stuff that I had heard from pastors and it hadn't laid hold of me. I was wrestling with stories of the Bible and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, man. There's like two people, everything, like, like wait a minute. There's like these stories of these, you know, these walls just falling down because somebody blew a trumpet. Like I've heard of some bass, but man, that, that, no, that, that never happened in my car, but I, I struggled in, in, Man, if you're here today and that's you, let me encourage you, like, like, don't stop wrestling. Like, God's big enough for us to bring these doubts, even our doubts about this ancient text that we go to, because it didn't stop at doubt for me. That's, that's the grace of God, is that he wired me to be this guy that had to look at every facet and every angle and go, man, does this really make sense? Is this really true? But, but lay hold, and it fueled me to lay hold of what's true. And, and so here's what we want to do tonight. Here's what I want to do. I want to just go through three things. I want to go, what are the scriptures? Like, what do we talk about? We talk about the scriptures or the Bible. What is the problem or the myths that we have believed in culture and in the church? The church isn't immune to that. And then why, and in the end, why do we trust these things? Why do we trust them? And, and yes, listen, we're going to use the Bible to defend the Bible. That's going to frustrate some of you to know when you're like, it's just circular reasoning, Brandon. It is, all right? Everything is circular. But as Christians, man, this book sits at the epicenter. It's going to be everything that we cling to. Because reading it, letting it read me, has changed everything for me. And so if you have your Bible, grab it. We're going to go 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight is where we're going to start. Um, if you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screen. But before we get into the reading of the scripture, and I'm going to look over there, and our poor projector died. So, oh, there it is. Um, uh, here's, the, here's the background. We got Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a young pastor in a church called Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, all right, just south of Izmir. Um, really cool. It was a port city, really important city in the day. Uh, Paul, who is writing this letter to his son in the faith, is charging this really young pastor in this really culturally uh, crucial church, right? Like they saw trade coming in from the sea. Like this city was, this city was, was massively hopping for a first century city. Big library there, amphitheater, like people were coming to this city. And Timothy is a young dude trying Trying to navigate the complexities of culture and this new truth, this new religion called Christianity that's just been birthed out of, out of this guy dying and raising to life. And so, so this is the background for where we find ourselves. Timothy has two really influential people in his life, his mother and his grandmother. Anybody else can relate to that, right? 
Got praying mamas out there, praying grandmas. Like, that, that was my life, man. And these two women have been influential in his growth. And so Paul is gonna charge Timothy here in verse 16 with a few things. So let's look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill the ministry. So, so here we go. We set this table. Does, that, does chapter four sound anything familiar, right, to culture today, right? Like, like, that's just like, it's not new. Like, sometimes we think we're just breaking ground here in culture, man. Nothing that the first century church faced that we're not facing today. Like, it's there. Um, where we, we may face comfort, they face a persecution. But, but they're still facing the same cultural trends, right? People were going to hear things that they wanted to hear. They were going to coddle their own soul and coddle their own emotions. And they were going to run to those things because the, the, the truth of the teaching that Timothy had was going to get boring for them. So when we look at verse 13, Paul's gonna say, all scripture, okay? So what is that? Like many of us in this room, if we were to say, what are the scriptures? We'd say the Bible, right? Like, like many of you have seen a Bible. You may have had a Bible. You know, you had one that was given to your graduation that was really ugly and had your name on it and all that stuff and said, so proud of you as a graduate. Um, and you know, now it sits on your nightstand. But for the scriptures, you, you may have had one or a hundred or a thousand translations, or it may have sat next to you on that, that right next to the Twilight series. Um, man, if you, or you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, just stay with me, okay? Just, just stay with me here. Because you're probably not the only one in here. But let me give you a definition for what the scriptures are. The, the, the scriptures revolve around this next phrase in verse 16. Look at it here. All scripture is breathed out by God. And what we would call that is inspiration, right? Um, inspiration. Now, now, the word inspiration in our culture um, can mean a lot of different things, right? Like it can mean that cat poster that you had when you were a teenager that said, strive for perfection, right? Yeah, you had it, man. It was cool. It has little, little, hand, little kitten paws up there, man. You remember that thing. Or it may have been your coach that was just yelling at you before the game, right? And he said, this is pure inspiration, right? Go out there and do whatever. Probably with a little less language, but you know. But when it comes to the scriptures, the meaning of inspiration is precise. And when Timothy says, or when Paul says, God breathed, what he is saying is that supernaturally, that this has been guided by God, that the spirit of God has, and, and, and the word picture he's trying to get at, has physically expelled air from his lungs, 
Like the God-breathed part is that he has physically expelled this. That, that he, by God's grace, that, the, that when Christians speak of inspiration, it is the process by which God supernaturally guided the various authors of the various books of our Bible. This doesn't mean that they were puppets, but rather the sovereign God dictated his message using their personalities and their likes and their styles and their experiences and wrote his words on there. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at what it says here. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, no word of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, nothing ever written in the Scriptures. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Like, I love that, as they were carried along. You may have experienced that in your life. Like, like your story may be one of God just ruthlessly going after your soul. Like, I can look at a few of you out here and know your story. And you're like, I, don't want to, I didn't want to be in here. And God just kept coming after me, and now I'm here, right? Like, like this is, I mean, they just, God just kept moving them along, writing these Scripture, sovereignly dictating it. And so, so from this, here's what we can deduce, that the Scriptures must be inerrant and authoritative because they were given by God for all people for all times. That because God does is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the words are going to be applicable to our lives today. That though culture may have shifted, and there may be different things, what we believe about the inspired Word of God is it still speaks to the soul today. Now, the problem with this, what, that's what the scriptures are and what we want to cling to. We've got to lay that foundation, lest we have all these different questions. That's the foundation. But the problem is that we've tended in culture and the church to have applied our subjective, finite, temporary view and think that the Bible has to fit our understanding that has to fit my perception, that in my 20 some odd years of living, that it's gotta fit into all those experiences that I've lived in my long life, right? Like even at 40, like I'm like, man, I've lived a lot of life. Yeah, I'm 40, don't, okay, don't freak out, all right? Lived a lot of life. Man, that's nothing, that's not a drop in the bucket and compared to what has been around here. And yet sometimes I find myself thinking I know better and I want to fit my experiences and my understanding, my, my you know, C plus average in college, like that somehow outweighs the authoritative sovereign God. In the church, what we've done is we've made this thing into a roadmap for life. You ever heard that, right? Like if you grew up in the church, it's a roadmap for life. So like I was supposed to open this thing up and go, man, uh, what job should I get after college, Right? Like supply chain management, that sounds great. Like what, we made it into these secret mysteries of God, like where am I gonna live? Who am I gonna marry? This secret perfect will of God that if somehow I don't get in line with that, like I'm gonna be out of his good graces. And so we've paralyzed ourselves into thinking this thing is about me. And that myth has only led us that when we're disappointed with God, we run away from him because he didn't fit into what I wanted to do. I'm frustrated I haven't met anybody. I'm frustrated that he called me to move to La Mesa. Sorry, no, cool if you're from La Mesa, man. I love that place. Like, I'm frustrated here and here, like, whatever. 
Like the idea that, that it's a me-centered. We've done that in the church and we've, we've propagated this. We're like, to really know God, you gotta stir up this faith and this emotion. It's all based on you. And culture is no different, right? We have this view of man reaching upward or inward for truth, like fighting for his own glory. And what we've made the, what culture has made the Bible to be at best is a bunch of moralistic stories about people that we're supposed to strive to be like, right? Like, have you ever read the Bible? Like, have you ever seen these characters in the Bible? Like, man, there are some messed up dudes in the Bible. There's some messed up things that go on in the Bible, but God's grace is the theme of this. And in culture, we've, we've made it into these stories of morality, and at, wor- at best, it's morality. At worst, we see it as this oppressive book that's meant to hold me back from all things that I can that I'm supposed to become or make me happy. Like, I was frustrated with this. I mean, I grew up in a youth setting where I was battling culture and this kind of semi-Christian culture over here that was like, you know, wear some shirts that, you know, don't say Abercrombie and Finch, but say like a breadcrumb and fish, right? Like, like just cheesy stuff, man. Like, just ridiculous, right? And then the culture over here, it's going, no, man, come here. It's all about happiness. It's all about joy. And the word of God somehow got lost in that thing. And in culture, we get frustrated by a God that doesn't bow to our happiness. Right? Like, have you been there? I mean, come on, man. If anything, we can be honest, right? Like at any place we could be honest and the view we have of the Bible is often we fail to see the massive picture of the Bible and we boil it down these snapshots, right? It's like I read part of the book and then left the rest and just assumed the ending. Like Frodo really dies at Mount Doom, right? Like we, we don't see the, the meta-narrative that's playing out on the scriptures, that the scriptures are not about me-centered but they're about creation, God creating the perfect relationship with, with man and nature and man and God, and that was broken by sin, and sin fractured everything. Like, it, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about evil and suffering, and like the foundation of this is not some vindictive God. The foundation is that sin sucks, and it's broken everything. But God didn't leave it that way, right? Like the story is about this redemptive person in this Messiah that was gonna come and the whole Old Testament points to our inability, right? To ever get to God and then break open the New Testament. Here's Jesus. Like he just comes and Jesus engages and Jesus redeems and Jesus dies and raises from the dead on the third day and now is restoring all things back to himself. Like that's the story of the Bible. And when we take things and we shift them to our subjective nature and we put us at the center, man, things get really wacky really, really quick. And so we've got to be careful. And so listen, when we look at what the scriptures are and we look at the problem, we've got to go, hey, why do we trust this thing? Like, why do we continue in what we've been taught here? Like, if I'm to be really, really honest, and I hope that's one thing, I don't offer a lot, but man, I hopefully offer honesty to you guys. It's like, there are times in my life where I'm like, man, what am I really running after? Like, it'd be so much easier just to, just to push that aside and go after what I want over here. And man, it'd be really, really easy. There's something that keeps pulling me back to him, though. 
in the midst of those questions. And so I think there's two things that we can look at of why we want to continue, why we trust these things. The first one is here that, that God reveals himself through his word. We've touched on this a little bit, but, but the pages of the scripture are not stories of morality. They're stories of the character and mercy and beauty and justice and hope that we have in a good God. That when God reveals himself to people, people worship. You see, the real problem in the world is not one of theology, right? It's not that we don't know enough or we're not doctrinally savvy enough. Like that's, that's the least of our, the, the problem is a worship problem. That we exalt things to levels of worship that we'll never be able to fulfill. And if we approach the Bible with other things as our object of worship, we won't see God revealing himself on the pages. To commune with God in his word to really dive into his word, even though we don't understand all of it all the time. But to commune with him is to seek his glory. It's to seek his character above all that we can. When we approach the Bible with this attitude, like when we approach the Bible here, what we're saying is, God, show me your character. Like show me Psalm 145. You're steadfast and slow to anger to abound in richness. Like, show me that. I'm, I'm, I want that for my life. I don't want to be shaped by my own feelings. I want to be shaped by who you are. If we don't approach it with worship, we just come for morality. And morality just burns us out, man. Just trying to be a good person. The teachings and wisdom that 2 Timothy offers, look at what he says, at the, look at what he says in 2 Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Like that's beautiful things right there. If we approach it any other way, like, like think about when somebody has corrected you. That doesn't always feel good, does it? Coach gets on to you, teacher gets on to you, parents get on to you. Like sometimes that's really hard, but if you know there's a loving God that's behind those things, that's out for your good, man, I'm able to take that correction. I, my wife loves me, but she's not afraid to call me out on my crap. And now I don't always respond great. You can ask her. She's in the back, all right? I don't always respond, but I do know, man, that when, that when we have our robust dialogue at the house, like, it's, it's out of love, right? And so we mutually want to reprove each other because we know that we, there's, there's a love foundation. If we think God is some vindictive out to get us, God, and we don't see his character for what it fully is, like then we're gonna read that stuff going, man, God just wants to kill my fun. I knew it. God didn't want me to be happy. Knew it. We've gotta see his character and what he reveals. I, I was, part of my journey is one of depression and just despair to Jesus. Like, I'm one of those stubborn people that God just had to run to the end of my rope before I was just like, all right, man. And I can remember sitting on a beach in San Diego, California, at probably the lowest point in my life, and the character of God looking over, I mean, this picture, one of those pictures just etched in your memory, right? Like, the character of God as that sunset over the edge of that horizon, man, something stirred in me. That, didn't, that hasn't stopped because I saw it for who he was. 
Like all those things that my mom had drugged me to church and all those things that I read in the Bible when it didn't mean anything, they started coming to life in me. I started to see him for who he was. And man, it was engaging. It wasn't ruthless God. It was a loving God. It wasn't this just this, this vindictive God who was just waiting to hammer me and throw lightning bolts like Zeus from heaven, man. It was a God that wanted to wrap me up in his grace and his mercy and go, I know you messed up, but come on, man, let's go. And God reveals himself through his word. The second thing that we look at is that God is working. Look at the second part of this, of chapter, uh, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That because of his character and the personality and the way that he expresses his will and his way in the word, man, that gives way to faith. I mean, look at the order that this thing's in. There is faith in Jesus that through his word, he is revealing and saving. That when I wanna water this thing down, I wanna be palatable to culture, that all I'm doing is stifling what God's been doing for millennia. That he is awakening dead hearts, that he is shaping and moving, that there are some in, in here that were reluctant believers, right? <laughs> and there are some of you that, man, when God opened your eyes, man, it was just like run after him. That he is awakening dead hearts. He is moving. That he is equipping, right? So, so faith comes first, right? So faith then. Then look at what he's doing. In the second part, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, that that produces something, that it produces things. You know what this says to me? Christianity isn't legalism. Works don't save you and works don't keep you. They are a product of the saving faith that God has given you. He is the sustaining salvation. That one day, like he's sustaining you now in your walk, and one day he's gonna make all things right. Never stop looking, never stop laying hold of the scriptures. Like when I look around this room, there are hundreds of you in here that are actively pursuing, actively working out this word in your life. It is producing something in you. You are engaging your neighbors and you're an introvert. You're baking pies for your neighbors. You're getting to know them. You're engaging your classmates in discussion. You're being examples of generosity to a world around you. The word of God is taking root in your life and producing something. This is why we trust the Bible, because the word is not stagnant. Like we could blow this room out. We could fill every chair in here. But if we have stagnant people, this thing will shrivel up. The word is active. Why do we trust the Bible? Because for those in this room that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, it has brought freedom. That you know what? There's still doubt. I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and there's doubt. There's still questions and there's still parts of scripture that I wrestle with that don't, don't make sense and don't, I don't understand them all the time. But Justin Smith, our church planner resident, you'll get to hear him next week. He talks about heaven and hell next week. Like he said this the other day in our sermon lab. This is, this is just, this is so awesome. The Bible won't answer all the questions you want it to, but it'll show you the right questions to ask. 
Bible's not going to show you every question. It's not going to answer every question you have for life. What it's going to do is show you the right ones to ask from the right heart and the right motive. So it's the confidence that Christians take in the word is not that they're clean, but that the Bible's trustworthy because God is trustworthy. That God, that this God, that we can engage the word because it doesn't just speak to this ethereal, theoretical life, to this make-believe world, but it speaks to true life and offers real hope because the scriptures center around Jesus and the gospel. And the Bible is that objective truth, that stay-hold truth that doesn't shift with culture. That's what Christians are going after. So my, my, my question to you, if you're a believer in here, if you put your faith in Jesus, is are you reading the word? Something is shaping you. And are you reading it not just to check off some, I'm going down this reading plan, so I've got to check it off, but are you reading it to lay hold of who God is? Are you fighting for truth? And hey, man, if you would say, like, I'm skeptical at best about Christianity, man, awesome that you're here. But let me challenge you. Rather than watching a 30-second YouTube clip to get your whole theology from about why the Bible is wrong, why don't you just read the Bible with the person who brought you? Why don't you just open it up? Why don't this semester you just say, you know what? I'm gonna be a true skeptic. I'm gonna lay my cards on the table and let God do his work. That maybe in reading the Bible that He's gonna work through his word to take you from these places of momentary hope to an everlasting hope in him and his work. And this would be a safe place for you to do that, man. I don't ever wanna see the Bible as a self-help book or a me-centered book. And when things don't work out the way I want them to, right off God, I want to see the bigger purpose and the bigger hope. I want to live for something greater than myself. And so man, if you're interested in like just going, I just want to read the Bible with somebody this year. Like we have these things called grow groups and they just read the Bible. We don't answer every question. We go, hey, I don't know that. Let's just, let's, let's research it together. You can go out to the connections table and sign up for that and we'll put you with somebody to be in a grow group. But listen, as a church and a ministry, like, like we don't have a lot to offer. We got like concrete and wood. But what we do have, and we'll promise, is that we're going to use the word to guide, to bring freedom and joy, and to set our hearts ablaze for a real purpose. Let's pray. Man, God, I thank you that your word is trustworthy because you're trustworthy. And God, you breathe these things out. You breathe these words on these pages through these authors for, for, our, for your glory and, and our good. And so God, man, when we take this thing seriously, that's seriously enough to bring our doubt to the table and for you to embrace that. God, seriously enough for us to read it, not just to read for a checklist, but to see your character and the beauty of the gospel jump off the pages. God, will you do that in our ministry, God? And as we do that, as we become people rooted and ground the word, that God, dead hearts would come to life. There'd be men and women in this room that you would bring salvation to even tonight, God, that they would reach out to somebody and go, I wonder what it means to follow this Jesus. 
don't know it all. And I'm willing to go after it. Man, may, may this be a place that doesn't just sit in this room, but rather engages our campuses because of who we trust and what we trust in. And so God, will you do that? Make us people of the book. Or by your grace, will you do that in our, our ministry and in our church? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand and now let's respond to what he is asking us.